The opinions expressed by guests of this show are their own and do not necessarily align with those of us here at the Animal Soulmates podcast. At that time, I was about to graduate and come to the U.S. And my first thought was like, I don't want to do anything else. I just want to lay here and die with him, um, you know. But then I thought, I'm not going to be doing him any good if I quit my life. That the only reason I took him to get neutered is because I was leaving the country. So if now I don't do that, I'm not doing him justice, you know. I'm just going to like quit and his life will be there's no meaning of it if I don't go now I have to go welcome to the animal soulmates podcast I'm your host Dr. Abby Viscardi I'm an animal welfare scientist and more importantly an obsessed dog mom I believe that the unconditional love and connection that we share with our animals is more powerful than we realize This podcast will honor the stories of these amazing creatures that have walked with us and changed our lives forever. So join me, and together we will explore the true power of the human-animal bond. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of the Animal Soulmates podcast. I am so excited that you are here. I have so many amazing guests lined up this season. I've just had incredible conversations up to this point, and I just cannot wait to share it with you here. A couple things before we get started. I will be having one of my dogs serve as co-host for each episode, and I felt like it was only fair ahead of the episode that I acknowledge them. And so for this first episode, my pit bull from New York named Frank Sinatra was the co-host. He was an absolute perfect gentleman throughout the recording, so you probably won't hear much of him in the background. And I'll probably do a proper introduction of each of my co-hosts on our official Instagram page for the podcast, which is at Animal Soulmates Pod on Instagram. And so you'll be able to go there and actually see pictures and videos of them. But I felt like it was only fair to uh, introduce them ahead of the episode. And the other thing I wanted to mention is that I had a very stubborn bronchitis when we recorded this episode and had actually lost my voice a few days before we recorded, which really was impeccable timing to start a new project that was essentially audio only when I didn't have a voice. But anyways, please bear with me through this episode. It gets a lot better and a lot clearer in episode two, but it is kind of a little, little rocky for this episode. I could not be more grateful to my first guest here, Dr. Eduarda Bordaluzzi on the Animal Soulmates podcast. I first met Eduarda in the fall of 2018 when she was completing her master's degree, and we became friends very quickly. I think most of you have probably experienced the connection that you have kind of automatically with animal people, and I certainly felt that the first time I met Eduarda. She was interested in animal behavior and animal welfare, which is what I had my PhD in, And we just clicked right away. There was sort of like that instant connection. 
Eduarda received her vet degree from the Federal University of Pampa in Brazil, so before she came to the U.S., and she also completed a PhD in animal behavior and welfare in July of 2022. I am honestly beyond happy to have her as a colleague. She is the type of person that we need in this field to improve our animals' lives. So prior to our conversation, I knew that she had an animal soulmate, and she was such a gift to me when I lost Amira my animal soulmate. I think it just was her recognizing my grief in herself. And she just really helped me through a raw, really hard time in my life. And I could not be more thankful to her for that. Eduarda is such a kind, beautiful person that I am so lucky to have in my life. Her story is very powerful So please grab some tissues ahead of time and enjoy episode one, A Pug Named Dexter. I'm Eduarda Bortoluzzi, and I grew up in São Miguel do Oeste, Santa Catarina, Brazil. And what was your childhood like growing up in Brazil? It was good. I had a lot of fun. My parents were divorced, so I think I got a lot of attention from both sides and also uh, from my grandparents. So I spent a lot of time with uh, my grandfather on my mom's side, which I think kind of influenced how I like animals because he had a farm, so he would take us out to see the cows. Um, he had one cow for each one of his grandchildren, so that was fun. We could name the cows, and yeah, we had fun. It was it was a fun time. Did you have animals growing up in your own household? Well, when I lived with my mom and dad and at our place, we had one dog. She was mainly like a yard dog. She ran away one day and we looked all over for her. We couldn't find her. So that was like very touchy for me because after that, they didn't want to give me another animal just because it was painful to watch me go through the loss of an animal. So I would just like name all the animals I saw with her name. And then they they were like, yeah, we're not doing this again. This is too much. So then after that, my mom thought maybe I needed another dog. So we got um, a dog from a, a couple that they were military. They were being uh, deployed to another country, I think. So they couldn't take, they had like a tiny poodle. So we end up taking her and she was like my main dog as I was growing up. Um, mm. Lala. <laughs> so we had her for the longest time, but then my mom and I used to live in an apartment and we couldn't have dogs all the time cause she would bark. So she lived in a friend's house for the longest time, but we would come visit her like every day or whenever we could. So we we still had that bond. And then when we moved to a house, she came with us. Um, So I had a good experience with her, but she just got into a lot of trouble all the time. Um, She would bite frogs outside and then get kind of poisoned with it or, uh, you know, just... So then is where I started saying, well, I, well, I always wanted to be a vet, but at that time I was like, I just want to be a vet. So I know what to do if something like that happens, because we always had to call someone to come and rescue her. Um, so that kind of drove me into, I want to be able to help animals or if I see an animal that is 
outside and it's suffering. I just want to be able to do something for them. So that kind of drove me into why I wanted to work with small animals at the time. It might be a little too soon for this question, but how is the animal companion animal situation different in Brazil than here in North America? It's very different because we have a lot of stray dogs. So the the streets in Brazil have a lot of dogs. My city in particular does not have a lot because the government and the, the public laws kind of um, take care of it. We also have uh, organizations that take care of those stray animals and we try our best to not have animals in the streets. But it's it's still seen as, the animals are seen, still, seen as um just animals outside, not like part of the family as much as in here. It, it changed a lot in the last couple of years. Um, there's still a lot of like yard dogs and dogs that never come inside or they are just for protection, that type of things. If you move around Brazil a little bit, like my university town, there's strays all over. So we we would name the strays because we would see them every day. They were kind of like community dogs that everybody would feed. And it becomes a problem because we have a lot of zoonotic diseases and then we have a lot of ticks because of the weather. But we knew all of the animals. So one of them, he's still alive to this day, which is to me, it's crazy. Since I went to vet school, he would just be like inside of the bank because it was uh, where they had uh, air conditioning. And the people would let him come in, you know, and lay on, on their floor. And so now that he's like older, he needs more care. Someone adopted him and she has like a page on Instagram. So I can keep seeing how he's doing, but he would follow us. He would kind of walk with, especially with girls, kind of like a protection, like a bodyguard for us. So he was the best, but it's, it's, it's a very different situation that we have here in U.S. compared to Brazil. We have a lot, a lot more trouble with small animals being on the street. And so you talked about zoonotic diseases. What, just for the audience who is unfamiliar, what are zoonotic diseases? So zoonotic diseases are those diseases that can pass from animals to humans or from humans to animals. Um, so things that we would share um, as a disease or um, sometimes parasites that could be in animals that end up in humans, depending on how they're handled. So I guess we can jump into your story with Dexter. So when and how did Dexter come into your life? So Dexter came in my life, I think it was my second year of vet school. I had animals at home. I always had animals, uh, <laughs> always had dogs, but um, I live 15 hours away from my hometown. And by the time that I left, my mom didn't want me to take in any animals just because she wasn't sure how it was going to be and if I would have any time to take care of an animal. So my animals stay back home. I had I had only a dog at that time, but so I, I was always saying how I miss having a dog around and having that bond with an animal. So um, I had a friend that actually gave me Dexter. I never thought I was going to like a pug because, you know, I was a vet. Pugs have a lot of like health issues and I thought they were kind of ugly, to be honest. <laughs> but then I got Dexter and he was like the best dog ever. He had like such a good personality. The first day I had him, he just like learned how to crawl up off the bed and he would like come and sleep with me, snuggle with me. He would never like sleep on his own bed. <laughs> So we just bonded really, really fast. And it was the first dog that it was mine. 
that I took care all the time, that it was my responsibility to make sure he was healthy. It was my responsibility to come back and take him for a walk. It was my responsibility to feed him. So we just bond really deeply on all of that. Plus I was 15 away, 15 hours away from home. So he kind of became my family just because I didn't have anybody there to go through that with me besides my roommates. So he was kind of like my family. And then every time I would go home, he would come with me. So 15 hours in a bus and <laughs> he would be in a carrier and he would just come with me. So he knew through day one, I started fitting him inside the carrier. So he would you know, get used to being in the carrier. And he just did amazing. He would just walk in as soon as I started putting my, my suitcase together, he would just like enter his carrier and be like, yeah, we're going like, you're not leaving me behind. We just had like this deep bone that I just can't explain. And did you get him when he was like seven weeks, eight weeks, or was he grown? Yeah, he was eight weeks when I got him. So he was fairly small. The difference between U.S. and Brazil and, and other senses, we have a lot of uh, part of a, a virus going around. So it's, it's just a disease that causes cowers or uh, diarrhea in animals. And um, it's very severe in Brazil to a point that they will die in a couple of days. So I was so afraid that he could get something because we have so many stray dogs just roaming around that I didn't take him out of the house until he was fully vaccinated at six months. So through all of that time, I lived in an apartment. So he learned how to use pads. He would only pee on pads because I was so scared of taking him out and he would catch something, especially because he was like a purebred animal that usually... (laughs) To me, they're more sensitive. So I just, I was so scared that he could get any disease that I just kind of lock him home. I would not even touch the strays at that time because I, I was so scared. And at the same time, I was going to vet school. So I had contact with animals that were sick. So I would come home and like strip all my clothes in my front door, like just after I came in and then take a shower and then go talk to him. Like I didn't even touch him because I was so scared that he was going to get sick. So I had all like this very concern about him getting sick um, when he was young. So we just really bonded on that. And so for the first six months, it was really just you and him. Did he have any exposure to anybody else or it was just you and him? No. So I live with two roommates. So they had contact with him most of the time. And one of my roommates had a dog, but it was uh, all vaccinated dog. So I wasn't super concerned about her dog. So they had this acclimation to each other, but I didn't do a lot of socialization with him because I was so scared of him getting something. So he would only approach animals that I knew were fully vaccinated and they would bring to our house. And But I was still afraid that they could catch something. So I was very much like, well, they need to be fully vaccinated to be exposed to him. And I, I was just like, kind of like a freak on nobody touches him, which I think that's how people do with babies. I mean, he was your baby. Yeah, he was my baby. He was my first baby. Yeah. So what did life look like with Dexter in veterinary school? I mean, obviously we know how rigorous veterinary school is. So what did that look like? So he was my best buddy on everything. When I graduated, I actually have pictures of him wearing a hat because I was like, well, you deserve a vet degree too. Because he sat with me for like every single test I had to study. And he was very much like he had his 
schedule. So if I was studying after hours, he would come with his blankie and be like, Hey, we need to go, we need to go uh, sleep. And I'm like, I can't cause I have to study. So I had to like put a chair with his bed on top. So he would lay by me because he would not go to bed without me, but he just went through vet school through and through with me. So when I got him, I was in my probably second year of vet school. So just like starting the basics of physiology, more deep anatomy and just learning a little more. So he was all through that with me on third year of vet school in Brazil. So in Brazil, it's a little different. We don't do undergrad. We go straight to vet school. So um, it's just more intense is the entire day classes. And I had to take a bus and never, never had a car. So I felt bad that he was home. But on my third year, we start doing clinics and he would come to the clinic with me. So if we had to do any, you know, clinical skills, just learn how to like collect blood or do physical examinations. He was like my model to it and to my group. So I have a couple of pictures that you can see that we're holding him and like doing. So I did like a skin test on him. We would do everything. So he was so okay with that treatment because he was always at the hospital. He knew everybody. He knew all my professors. And then by year four and five is when I start doing internships. And some of my internships required that I stayed at the hospital at night. So because I had him and I didn't want to leave him alone, I would take him with me. So I have like pictures of him inside the lockers. <laughs> he was just like there for everything I've done in vet school. He was my best buddy. Like we would do everything together. The bus driver knew him because I had to take him on a bus to go to the vet school. Everybody knew him. So he was kind of like a celebrity. And he, of course, as being a pug, had a lot of like health issues and he had some skin problems. He would go to the vet school and get his physicals done by the other students and he would be fine with it. So he he just went through and through vet school like he did everything. So I thought that when I graduated, I was like, well, he deserves to receive the degree with me because he has been through everything as a vet student would. He was my support, I would say, you know, like just having an emotional support dog at that time wasn't, it wasn't even talked about having an animal that was emotional support. But at the time, he, that's what he was mm -hmm. for me. He was just there for everything. And what year was this? Like, when did you go through vet school? From 2011 to 2017. So I did one year off an exchange program in the US in the beginning, in the middle of it. Um, so I did, yeah, 2011 to 2017 in August. And that was The other thing that really weighed on me when I came to the U.S. for my internship, I couldn't bring him with me because he was heavier than what they would allow on the airplane. So he would have to go under and I was so afraid that it would not have enough oxygen that I, it was just not an option for him to come with me at that time. So he stayed with my mom. But I remember that it was either you would be selected to come a year or a year and a half or two years, something like that. And I was like, if they select me to go two years, I'm not going to go because he will only live like about eight years and I'm going to lose two years of his life. So I was just I didn't want to come because I was like, I don't want to lose those years of his life. I just don't want to mm -hmm. do it. And so I ended up coming for only a year, which was kind of good. That must have still been hard a year away from him. Yeah. And that time we didn't have a lot of like means to 
to talk on video. So we only had Skype and we had to like make sure that my mom had a good connection. I had a good connection so I could see him to be able to have that connection, even though I was away. But my mom did a wonderful job. She was just in love with him. And when I went back, she's like, I'm going to take him somewhere that he can sign with his paw and say he wants to stay with me. And I'm like, no, mom. (laughs) It's coming with me. He's my baby. So what was it about Dexter that that drew so many people to him? Like your mom got very bonded to him. Sounds like people that went through veterinary school with you and your professors were very bonded. Like what was it about him? He was just a very well-behaved animal, I would say. Like I didn't have to work really hard to train him. He was the first dog that I actually like did training. Like he knew all commands and he was very good at not, he was your shadow. Like he would go with you anywhere. So if I was to go take a shower, he would go with me. Anywhere I would be in the house, he would be with me. He was like attached So he would do that to other people too, if I wasn't around or he was just very like charismatic, I would say. I think part of it is also like how he kind of looks like a human on his face. So he had such expressions for everything that you would do that it was just so easy to bond with him. But I think the biggest thing was just like his personality, his temperament of being such like a, a good dog. And he would just, yeah, he he was just like nice to everybody. He was very well behaved, um, easy to train. And I think people just like got kind of draw into him because he was so nice, such a nice dog, such, you know, such a lovely dog that that it's kind of how, how things went with him, I guess. I also love that you use a, like an adjective like charisma because I can, I just think about like, 50 years ago to say an animal was charismatic. It just would be such a strange thing to say, but like it makes sense. Like I can absolutely picture a dog being just charismatic and like playing to the crowd and like drawing people in with their personality. But it's just so funny, like how far we've come from, you know, we don't know if animals are sentient or we don't know if they have like emotions or like at least more deep emotions like grief or guilt or those types of things to now we're like, it's, it's just so normal to say terms like, Oh, they're charismatic or like, yeah, I don't know. I love that. Yeah. One, one thing going through vet school at 2011, which is completely different than right now, they had that view that animals could not recognize themselves. uh, So they would not think. And I remember one day going to the store and they had a magazine saying that they proved that animals actually can recognize themselves, not as we do, but like by smell, by just smelling each other or smelling their own smell and their own pee, that type of things. And I remember taking that magazine and it was like a very scientific based magazine we had in Brazil. And I was like, I can't believe people thought animals did not recognize or weren't able to think that to me is just like completely nuts Yeah, because he would like, if I'd stayed out of the house for 10 minutes, I would come back and he would be like the happiest dog ever. Um, So I'm like, he recognized me. He recognized people that he's used to. So like, how can you guys say that they are not thinking? It's just, it didn't make sense to me how that would happen. And I think the difference between him and other dogs that I had is just, he would be the same 
to pretty much everybody. He would like party for any person that would come through the door, which like my dogs right now, one of them is not like that. And I think it just makes a lot of sense to me that she's very lovely and attached to me, but she's not like that to every single person she meets, but he was. And I think that is what draw people to him. Just being that happy about seeing anybody, like he would cry and, you know, just like be so happy to see you. And it was, it was amazing to have that. It was just a feeling of being loved, you know, like giving love to an animal, but also like receiving that Mm -hmm. back. It was just awesome. Just unconditionally too. It's like, they love you, whether you're spending a full day at vet school and you come home, they still love you. Even if you are, I mean, I don't know, my lab maybe was not so happy if she was 10 minutes late to dinner, but like, like it's just this unconditional love from them. You can have a bad day. You can have a good day. They still look at you as if you're like the greatest thing. Yeah. And sometimes like you're not feeling good yourself and you're not being like super good to them because you're just not feeling good and they don't hold you against that. Like they will still love you through that and they will forgive you for anything like, oh yeah, you were 10 minutes late for food. Well, in as soon as they eat, they don't care anymore. It's just not something they will hold against you. And I think that is the difference between humans and dogs. It's just dogs will love you through all. Even dogs that people like just tie them outside, they still like bond with the person that comes and like gives them food, even though they don't have the best welfare at that time, they will still love that person, which to me is crazy (laughs) that they would do that. You know, they will still love you no matter what, which is, it's Mm -hmm. amazing. Yeah, I agree. So shifting gears a little bit, you'd mentioned a couple times about the health issues that exist with pugs. And I don't know that that's, super common knowledge to everybody. Are you comfortable maybe talking a little bit about what some of those health issues look like with the brachycephalic breeds? Yeah. So the biggest thing is what you just said. They are brachycephalic, which means that they were bred so much to look more human and have that big eyes and that like short nose that we end up creating some problems with that process. So in case of pugs, they have a long soft palate, which is just um, the soft part of your mouth inside of your mouth that it's too long. So it ends up occluding the passage of air. So they will do like almost like a cough that we say like it's an inverse cough uh, to try to get that piece of the soft pellet out of their airways. Um, so they have that problem. And they are not very good at exercising because there's not enough air coming in of that short nose. We have problems with eyes. So the eyes got put so outside that sometimes we have animals popping their eyes out where they need to have a nucleation. There's some other eye problems where um, because of the eye being too big and too outside, they get dry uh, so much that you start having some eye problems. And Dexter, if you would observe his eye, he had a little bit of like a dark spot coming in. And what we thought was because he had that big skin fold on top of his nose because he doesn't have a nose that was like scratching into the eye and creating some problems in his eyes, which wasn't a bad problem at that time, uh, but it could become an ulcer or something bad. The other problem that they have because of the nose being so inside the the face is that the opening for the airways is so small that not enough air comes in. And that's why like 
those type of breeds are the ones that snore and then you can hear them breathe so bad. So he had all of those problems because he was a pug, but overall uh, for a pug breed, he was good. Like he had a little bit of a snout. It wasn't too occluded. He never had, he never like passed, uh, you know, just like had a, a sync up episode where they just like pass out and then come back. He never had that. So he was able to run. I have like videos of him that just running with one of our other dogs. Like he was okay. But because he had all of those problems, for example, in, in Brazil, it gets really hot during summer. I would have to wait until like 7 p.m. so I could walk him outside because I was kind of concerned that he was going to overheat. And then I had to be very like aware that I couldn't do really long walks with him or go for a run because he would not he he doesn't have a way to cool off because dogs have some sweat glands but not even close to humans so he just didn't have that that ability to sweat it off so the the main way that they exchange um, heat is through their their mouth and through just opening mouth respiration, which is already hard for that breed. Um, the other big problem that he had was um, skin problems. So one of that, he had always fungus growing on his folds. So I had, since I got him, I would clean his fold and put like some oil uh, to help with the just scratching between the two folds. Uh, because of that, then he ended up developing some ear problems, so ear infections. And then the other problem that they have with their ear channel is because their head got squished, they have a longer channel with hair inside. So water gets trapped there and then they end up having infections a lot easier than other dogs. Anyways, those are a lot problems. The other thing that it's common with those breeds because they kind of got shortened and fat over time. So pugs and bulldogs are very predisposed of being overweight and having problems with that. So I was always like on top of his diet, making sure he didn't overeat. He didn't get any type of human food just to make sure that he was good. And then their legs get shorter. So the ratios between the bones get kind of off. So they start having some problems on their um, elbows and also on their knees. So there's this all these problems going on with those animals that you need to be aware. So I was always like, if you want to have this type of animal, if you want to have a, a pug because you like the breed or it's just something you need to be aware of and that it's going to be costly to make sure that the animal has a good life and a good health because you're constantly making sure that they are on their best weight and they're not overweight and you can only walk them this certain time and you need to make sure that their folds are clean. So I think that is also something that really made me bond to him because the care that I had to give him was um, very intense. Yeah, it sounds like it. And then I know there are certain individuals that actually these issues with the soft palate and the stenotic nares require surgical intervention for them to be able to get air in their body and and get them to breathe properly. I'm assuming Dexter was not one of those cases that, that would have needed that. Yeah. So what happened was I wanted to do the surgery on him. I wanted to open his airways a little bit and do the soft palate 
surgery and I talked to my professor at that time. She She's a really good surgeon and she told me, okay, so what is his trait influencing on his life right now? Is he able to do all of his behaviors? Is he able to go outside and play? Uh, does he have any type of things that are interfering besides just snoring or having some of the coughs? And he didn't. So she told me she wouldn't do it on him just because it's such a hard recovery that she thought that that would not benefit him overall. You know, it could a little bit, but she was just like, I don't know if I want to put him through this such an invasive surgery if he's not showing signs that this is actually affecting his overall health and his overall welfare. So we decided not to do the surgery, but I would take him to the vet school for literally anything I saw wrong with him. Even so she was also an orthopedic surgeon. And one time I, we were on orthopedic surgery part of the the surgery class and I told her I was like hey I've seen him stand up and he kind of kicked his knee back so I think he might have like a dislocation of his knee or something so she's like yeah just bring him to to the exam room we're gonna take care of him during class so you can learn stuff on your own animal and I was like okay so I brought him we did all the examinations that we already done on him like multiple times because he would come and help with clinics and we couldn't find anything and so we decided okay let's take him to x-ray and he was the best boy at x-ray like I just hold a treat and he lay down there for the x-ray so everybody was super impressed because usually they hate doing x-ray you need to be so still he was fine. So I got like all the professors like, oh my God, he's so good. Like he just lays there. And I'm like, yeah, if you have a treat, he'll do anything for you. Then we look at the x-ray also couldn't find any like really bad thing going on with his knees. But she told me because I watch him so closely all the time, that is probably something that will become a problem, would become a problem if he would get older. So just to keep an eye on him and making sure he was doing fine. And that's what I've done. But I also like, Whenever I was in an apartment, I would walk him down, like I would carry him down so he would not have, you know, the impact of going downstairs while I would be fine with him coming up because there's less impact in that. So I was just very like almost too much <laughs> caring, I would say, for my animal, but I didn't want him to have any problems before time. So that's what I've done. Oh, like I'm exactly the same way with my animals. <laughs> like if there is a slight deviation in their normal behavior, I'm like on the phone with the vet, like they need to be seen. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, it's yep. there. I totally understand. And it's so funny about the x-ray. This dude here, Frank, he just had to get x-rays done and they had to do like full sedation. There was no way he was going to stay for an x-ray. So that's awesome that he didn't, Dexter didn't need to do any of that. I think because he grew up inside the vet school and like he knew people around and, you know, he just didn't really care. So I put him down like I was like, hey, I have a treat for you. Just lay down. And then I was in the gown all dressed up so I could oh, be nice. there with him, which I think also made a lot of difference. Just having someone that he was used to and also like his vet was there. She was the one that did all like his clinical examinations, his vaccines, everything. So he was just home, I would say. So he didn't care much about like what was going on because all his people mm. was around, were around him and he was just he good. He just seems so perfect. 
He was. He was the best yeah. boy ever. So fast forward a little bit. You graduate vet school with him or you you had your pictures taken at least with him? Yeah. So I had my pictures taken with him my last year of vet school. We do pictures just before we do our ex- externship. So that would be six months into my my fifth year of vet school, just before we go to externships. So we took pictures. So I have pictures of him in like a vet uh, hat, you know, graduation hat. We did all that. And then I actually went to Rio for my externship and he stayed with my mom. And at that time, I knew I was going to come back to the U.S. to do my master's. So I talked to my mom and we were going to keep him with her. The problem was at that time, she had a female that was not spayed. And so then it's where things kind of got sad because um, I came back from my externship and I told my mom, I was like, because he's staying with you, I want to get him neuter and I want to make sure we neuter him now because of the problems that come with not having an animal neuter, prostate problems and litters that we don't want. And just all of the other things that come with having an animal that is not a neuter could be um, cancer of their testicles. There's so many things that impact their life. But for the longest time, I didn't castrate him just because they tend to get overweight when they are castrated. So I wanted to avoid that. And also we had a couple litters of him because he was a good breed of, you know, pugs. So that is um, the reason we didn't do earlier. So I came back from the externship and I told my mom, I need to get him neuter. I don't want to live him with you. And then he become a problem if he has like a prostate cancer or you get more litters that you don't want. So I decided to go with a vet from my town just because I didn't want to transport him back to my university town. Honestly, I don't know why I did that. I just, at that time, I just thought it was a good Well, option. your university town, you said, Sorry. was 15 hours away. Yeah. Oh, Sorry. Eduarda, it's hard. So I took him to the vet and I was like, hey, just want to make sure you guys are doing an anesthesia that is uh, with ventilation because he's a pug and he cannot go into just having like uh, IV anesthesia. He needs to be on ventilation all the time. He has a soft palate. And they're like, yeah, we do all that. He's going to be on isoflurane, which is one of the anesthetics we have. So I thought, well... This is the best vet in my town. They have all the equipment. So I took him there. He got his uh, pre-anesthesia medication, got into the surgery room, and I left. So they called me like, I don't know, like 30, 40 minutes later. And they're like, hey, Dexter is out of surgery. He's good. So you can come pick him up at noon. And I was like, okay. So I felt like this relief of everything went fine. Because when you're a vet, you know that stuff can go wrong on anesthesia surgeries and of that so I just felt good about like coming back and pick him up um so I went there to pick him up and I knew something was wrong because they're like Eduardo you need to sit down and I was like why and he's like unfortunately we lost him like a couple minutes ago and I just lost my ground it was so bad. And I was trying to be nice to the vet because I know how it is to lose an animal as being a vet is also painful to you. And I know it wasn't something that he wanted to happen, but 
Um, so I went in and I checked him out. He was there and he's like, okay, so what do you want to do? Um, do you want to do a necropsy on him just to make sure he didn't have any like heart problems? And I told him, I was like, I know he didn't have because he has been through vet school with me. We have done every single type of test in him and he does not have any problems. So he's a healthy dog. He was a healthy dog. And, um, he's like, I think we should do a necropsy. So I signed the papers to do a necropsy. I have no idea how I drove back to see my mom. And I know coming back to my mom and I'm like, just died, mom. I don't know what happened. So I felt so guilty that I took like my healthy animal and he passed away. And I was like, I'm fat and I didn't protect him. You know, I felt really bad that I didn't, I just didn't protect my animal. It was hard that day. Um, I had to go home. Um, my mom was just trying to comfort me, but she was suffering too because we were so attached to him. And it was just so hard. So I brought like his little collar home. And every time I would like touch the collar, I would just break crying. So my mom had to like hide it so I would not see it. But anywhere I would look at the house, I would see him like his bed, his football, um, the couch where he liked to lay down, like the bed. And the day before going there, we were watching a TV show, like me and him. And I could never finish that TV show because every time I open, it just like, it hurts me. So I just never finished that. And, um, uh, it was just a bad day for me. Just really, really bad. I felt so guilty for taking him there and putting him through that. And I was like, I just lost because he was six years old and their lifespan is about eight. And I was like, I lost two years of you because I took you to get um, neuter. So it was, it was rough. It was very rough. And at that time I was about to graduate and come to the U S and my first thought was like, I don't want to do anything else. I just want to lay here and die with him. Um, you know, but then I thought, I'm not going to be doing him any good if I quit my life. That the only reason I took him to get neuter is because I was leaving the country. So if now I don't do that, I'm not doing him justice. You know, I'm just going to like quit and his life will be, there's no meaning of it. If I don't go now, I have to go. So it was, it was very hard for me to um, just, you know, move on. And I remember that night, my mom was like, what do you want to do? And it's funny how at that time, religion kind of came to help me. Um, in Brazil, we have a lot of spiritism, I would say. So it's just basically that our, our souls evolve. So we start as really like, I don't know, we start with like bacteria and we grow through that. So my mom was like, hey, I'm going to take you to this place. And I remember I was wearing black because that's how I felt. I just felt like I needed to mourn him. And we got there and they're like, hey, Eduardo, you cannot go in because only people wearing like light colors can go in. So my mom had to go back, take different clothes for me so I could go in. And we went in and it was like a beautiful celebration. And that at the end, they just give you like, they will um, pray for you. A lot of people will like go around you and pray for you. 
And um, they didn't know why I was crying. Like, they had no idea. But they told me, like, things that I needed to hear. Like, you need to forgive yourself. What you're feeling right now is just a feeling of mourn and sadness. And you need to let this go. Whatever happened to you was not your fault. So they gave me, like, this little thing to pray every night. And it was basically, like, I had to say, I forgive myself. I forgive myself, I forgive myself, I forgive myself. And I don't know, that just played like a really good role in my life at that time that I had to forgive myself because I think I was really, really hurting because I was blaming myself for his death. So that played a big role in my life of like getting back in my feet and moving on. But then I would just go home and cry all the time because that's all I could do. And I remember my brother was... 11 at the time and I told him I was like when is this gonna stop hurting and he looked me in the eye and he's like when you forgive yourself and I felt that that was like so deep for an 11 year old to tell me and I was like well I need to like move on and at that time the good thing was we had his babies so we had two of his babies um, at home and my mom said, we're going to keep one um, just in memory of him. So we still have him. And I think they also helped me go through the mourn process of having like a piece of him that was there and I could touch it, you know, so he wasn't gone forever. They were there to help me through it, but it was hard. Your mom still has him? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so I'm excited that I get to go home and see him this time. Um, he's still there. And then her dog is also still there. And she's a pug too. So I think that that is really nice that I get to go and see yeah. them. I'm so sorry. Like, I I wish I didn't know the pain, but I do. And it's there's nothing there's nothing to say. There's nothing to, to make it better. It's no. just It's just this overwhelming darkness when you lose an, an, yeah. a soulmate really and it's been like seven years and I still yeah. cry I just can't and it took me like um I think it took me a year to be able to look at his pictures without breaking down so I remember after that after he passed I still had to defend my vet school because in vet school you need to defend your final internship so it's almost like it's almost like your defense is your master's here. So you present what you did on your internship and then you present two cases um, and how you treat those animals and um, just relay back to like the scientific part of it. And I just didn't know how I was going to do it. You know, I just didn't. I was like, I have nothing in me left. So I had to travel to my university town, which breaked my heart. I couldn't, I couldn't walk in front of the building we lived just because it just remind me so much of him. And I'm like, I just can't do it. Um, so I end up not visiting like my neighbors or anything because I just couldn't do it. And then going to the hospital um, where I had to defend where we had so many good memories it was just really, really tough. And my professor was like, just write so you can honor him, you know? And I got a lot of questions about like, why'd you do that? Uh, why'd you take him to a vet that was not his vet. And I just didn't have an answer. Like, I don't know why I did it. It was like, I wish I would have taken him to my university because I know everybody. I know they would take good care of him. I just don't have an answer for why I did that. But also the reality is you could have taken him there and 
unfortunately, the same thing. The same thing yeah. could happen. There was no telling. There was yeah. no crystal ball that could tell you what would have happened. Exactly. So it was it was a tough time. And then I remember that usually when you finish, you put a picture of either your friends, your pets, so you can say like, thank you for presenting. And I couldn't. I, I put a picture of the town because if I put a picture of him, I would cry. And sometimes on being a vet, crying is bad, is seen as a weakness. So I didn't want to show my weakness at the time. I was like, I'm just going to, you know, power through this in, in his honor of getting my myself graduated from vet school because he deserves it. And I'll just power through this. And I end up like, I think my grade at the end, because in Brazil, we go from zero to 10. I think I had a 9.8 or something. So I was proud of myself that I did that for him that I like managed to write a thesis or, you know, a conclusion work while I was in such so much pain and just finishing strong for both mm-hmm. of us. But it was yeah. rough. It was really Yeah, rough. I can imagine. My gosh. And then explaining to everybody that I took him someplace else, you know, was the hardest thing. Cause I, in my mind, I always had like, you should have known better. Like you should have known better. Like you're a vet. You should have been like, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to watch you through the process. But I don't know. I felt like I did what I was taught to do, which is just trust the vet, trust the vet of your animal, trust that they are in the best care. So that's what I've done. So I was trying to be as professional as I can because in the vet world, we're very bad. We're just bad at like talking bad about each other instead of helping each other. So I didn't want to do that to that person. I I wanted to support him and just let him do his job. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, something bad happened. But again, it could have happened anywhere. Maybe if I did the surgery of his palate before and his nose, that could have happened earlier. So I was kind of glad that I didn't because then maybe I got a couple more years with him. Have you forgiven yourself? Yeah, I did. It took me a couple years, but I did. It wasn't my fault. And I think I just see as it was the end of a cycle in my life. I... It's almost like it had to happen. And my mom played a big role on it where she said, I'm not glad that this happened, but I'm glad you were here. Because what if something happened and you were in the US and you couldn't come back? You would have blamed yourself a lot more. So at least you're here and you were able to go through it with him. Like you you did, like you spent the best time with him. You got to say goodbye. Like you were here for that. So I think that helped me a lot. But when I got to the U.S. after losing him and starting my master's program, I had bad days. I had like just days that, you know, I would break down crying. And um, one thing that I've learned is that sometimes writing stuff down helps. So I, I even tried to find it, but I wrote him a letter. Oh. And I put in one of my books with that praying that I learned to like forgive myself. And I remember saying, like, I'm sorry that I did that to you. I'm really sorry that I put that you through that. Um, that wasn't the outcome I wanted. I want you to stay with me. I wanted you to be here for me. But um, 
I forgive myself. I I never thought that that could happen. So I I wrote him that letter, and I was like, I just want to tell him that, because for the longest time, I would close my eyes and I would picture him dead at the table, and that just like killed me because just looking at something you love that is just like without life, it's so painful. Yeah. So my other thing was to change that image in my life. So in my mind and just whenever I thought about him, I thought about him like entering heaven. So like just running towards like a garden or a place that is beautiful. So I had to like train my mind to not go that route, to not go to seeing him in that table without life and just seeing him going to heaven. So that helped. And now like I I don't blame myself for that anymore, but still hurts. And I, I feel like it will hurt forever that that happened. So what was the time frame between his passing and you coming to the U.S.? <sighs> Fast. I think he passed. He passed in May. I came here in August. Oh, my God. He passed in May and I defended in July. Oh, my God, Eduardo. So it was a very short period of time. And uh, I put myself through a lot of like, stress over that time of trying to get everything ready to come here. That's when I start having, which that's something on my health, but I have pseudo seizures. So in July of that year, I had my first one. I just fell to the ground and had a seizure and like hit my head really hard in the ground and got cut. So I had to go to ER, get stitches, did MRIs, did everything you can imagine. They can't find anything wrong with me. I think it was just like, a high period of stress for me on like losing him, finishing up vet school, changing countries, like all like on top of each other. I reset it, you know, I just like blacked out and needed a new beginning. And I think that is what happened to me at that time. I just, it was so much that my body was just like, let's shut down for a little bit, which sometimes talking to people that don't have animals or never had this type of connection they think you're crazy or like how can you how can you treat that as a loss of like like it would be of someone of your family but it is i just i have no explanation for it like my my pain was very much like losing someone in my family it was just and i tell everybody and I'm like, I don't care what you think. Emotional pain is the worst pain ever. Someone can come and break all your limbs and yeah, it's going to hurt like physically. Emotional pain is the worst because there's nothing you can do that will decrease that. There's just nothing you can do. Yeah. So to me, after I lost him, that is like, if you ask, what is your biggest fear? My biggest fear is losing people I love Mm -hmm. because I'm going to be here. And I'm going to feel that. So I, it's just the pain of it is so big that it's the worst pain ever. And that's where like I started thinking about animal welfare a lot more because we're so concerned about physical pain. We're so concerned of things that we inflicted on the animal. And we just don't look at what is the emotional pain of that animal? What is their state? Because that is where I suffer the most. So I feel like that happens to them too. And we just ignore because we can see it. Yeah. I I think, honestly, that's what has inspired me to do this podcast is to use it as a platform to show people that these are more than just a dog or just a cat or just a an animal. Like these are 
a part of us. And the pain of losing Amira was as real and as profound as the loss of anything I'd had up to that point. And, and I mean, there's no bereavement for losing a pet. It's like, take a weekend and get over it. And, and exactly what you're saying, it's six months down the road, a year down the road, multiple years down the road of losing your animal. It's hard to tell people like, I'm having a bad day because my dog passed away three years ago and I'm still mourning her loss. It's it like, there just isn't that social awareness of like, this is the same thing as saying like, I lost a child. I mean, I guess maybe I shouldn't say the same thing. It's similar for sure. It's just painful. And I've had that those talks before, um, just talking about him with people. And I, well, in one of my trips to Brazil, I sat down with a, a doctor that takes care of newborn babies. And I told her, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to be able to have a kid. Because if this is the type of pain, uh, pain I went through with my animal, I can't even imagine how much is the pain of a mom losing their child. It's just unbearable. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how you follow in life after that. Like, you, you probably do to honor their history. Like, I felt like I had to do, but it's so painful. It's such a painful time that you don't know that you're gonna like be able to get out of that i felt like when he died like something in me died too i just felt like hollow and like what is the meaning of everything i'm doing like where am i going why do i do this and like just have no shine and i think it's just stages of mourning but just like why does my hair matter why does taking a shower matter you know like what does this matter nothing matters it was just such a like something in me died and i just i i don't think i will ever recover that it's just something that died and it will never be the same yeah and there's also this guilt associated with like enjoying life without them like it's like how can i be happy anymore because being happy was was something i shared with this animal and even little moments of happiness there, at least with me, there was like this immense guilt after of like, how can you be happy? How can you smile? How can you laugh? I felt the same. I felt the same. Like, how can I be happy? Like, I I feel like I'm betraying you if I am happy or like to me, getting a new dog was so hard because I didn't want anybody to replace him. Or, you know, to take his place or I didn't want to forget about Mm -hmm. him. That's my thing. I feel like with years go by, which that happens to people too. Like I can't remember my grandfather's voice, even though I lived Mm -hmm. with him. So that memory starts to getting lost and I just didn't want to lose those memories because that's what was making me go through life is just having those, those memories of him. So I had like the worst guilt of, I don't want to have another animal because I'm going to be betraying you and this animal will never be you, you know? So just having that really painful moment of like, I don't know what to do now. And so it, it took me another year to be able to almost say, yeah, a year to adopt another animal because I just couldn't, I, I, I didn't felt ready for having someone in his place. 
so until I got my next animal, which is Rio, and then I was like, it's it's not a substitution. Like there's enough love in me to love another animal that needs my love. So I had to go through all of those realizations of the love that I had for Dexter is not going to be moved now to Rio. Like I still have the love I had for Dexter here. It's not going to go anywhere. But I, I have so much love that there's space for my other animals to be in my life. And it's not going to affect how much I remember my, do- my dog and how much I love him. Dexter would want you to give that love that you gave to him to another yeah. animal. Like he, I mean, he had the best mom. And so he he wants his mom to have, or he wants another animal to have that love too. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt that as soon as I, as soon as we adopted Rio, I was like, this is almost like a love at first sight. At like, you know, just, I just felt that. I felt that I needed to give my love to another animal. And I didn't, he would never judge me for that. That's just how animals are. They will never judge you mm-hmm. for that. Let's talk about your, I guess, your more current life with animals and your professional, personal life. What what has that been like? Yeah. So after Dexter died, I did everything in vet school, basically towered small animals. My goal is always to help small animals, always to work with dogs and cats. And then I remember when I came back to do my to present my defense, we had to put animals under anesthesia and that just kind of triggered me really bad. Just seeing animals kind of like floppy, you know, they're they're just under, so they are not the same as they would be if they were not and they were not under anesthesia. So I thought, you know, I'm already going to a program where it's uh, geared to livestock. I should give livestock a chance. I should see if I like that because I don't know how much I can relate. Like I will relate too much to people that lose their animals because that is a thing you lose through vet school is almost you lose a little bit of your empathy because you have to separate that so you don't suffer all the time of like having losses. And I just, I was having a hard time to do that separation. So I would suffer the same way if it was my animal, which was really, really painful. So I was like, well, since I'm going to a master's gear to livestock, I should give livestock a chance. And in the beginning it was hard because my view of animals is always individualized animals instead of populational uh, medicine. So I had a really hard time doing that transition between small animals and livestock animals on just like, we're not going to treat this animal individually. We're going to treat the population. Um, it took me a, a little while to change, but um, I got a chance to do my projects with calves and I had the chance to treat them as individuals. So that just like really sparked something in me that I could make a difference to help farmers improve their management of their animals. And I feel like calf ranches or cow-calf production, the farmers really care about their animals. They really care about like one calf that is sick. They will do anything for that calf to like be nursed back into health. And uh, I would say like, hey, what do you guys think if we do this for this animal? And they would be like, yes, let's do it. Let's see if we can make it. So I think that like, change my view of livestock and I really got into helping 
management of those animals and not only like health but try to look at like how can we make their lives better overall and not just do the basics for them like how do we improve their life overall and that just started like gearing me into the animal welfare side of things where I'm not just doing my duty of being a vet and keeping the animals healthy but also like how do we prevent that how we use management skills how we use uh, animal behavior to help prevent disease so we don't have to even treat if we're preventing and that's where I was like that's what started moving me into just going through livestock production and and just like gearing myself into the animal welfare world just doing that for the benefit of the animal and also for the benefit of the farmer, just seeing their animals doing better. And that's, and obviously that master's turned into a PhD. Yeah, the master's turned into a PhD and um, I kept doing the same thing, kept going back to ranches, had a good opportunity to go to my advisor's ranch, which I think also biased me a little bit because they are such good animal producers they're so they care so much about their animals especially because of their harsh weather and how they can provide a better life for for their animals their cows and everything and it just it made me happy working with them and it made me happy to see that livestock people are actually interested in making the life of the animals better so sometimes i tend to say if you don't like animal production you should go and visit a ranch you should go visit how like how much they work for those animals because ranch life on the cattle side it's not easy it needs to be something you really like to do because you have no holidays you have uh, no time off your animals still need to eat your your animals still need to be taken care of um so it it would be way easier to go to a job that you can do you know 7 to 5 p.m and just go home that doesn't happen when you're working with livestock so they need to love that i would say yeah partially it's like yeah pay their bills but also like there's years that it does not pay their bills because you have nature you have disease you have other problems that are out of your control and they keep doing that because it's what they love so that like really changed my view of livestock production and granted there's a lot of things we can improve in all of the livestock productions Um, there's always something that we could do to improve or make it better but I think if people could go out and see how much farmers work that would kind of change their minds too of like how how much they love what they do and they have to because it's such a hard work Mm -hmm. to do. So your professional life is very much now focused on large animal, animal welfare. Yeah. And then what does your personal life look like? So my personal life looks kind of (laughs) crazy right now. I have uh, one too many animals. (laughs) I have two dogs. I have two. One is a border collie mix. Brad, he's a mutt. And I have a Border Collie smooth coat. So they're both very energetic dogs. They both play frisbee. They compete with my husband. They just love to do exercise, go to the lake and, you know, just go swimming. And then I have five cats. <laughs> so all my cats are rescues. They are just animals that needed some love and they end up in my care and they just never leave. So I'm just praying that no more cats showed up at my door because we have too many cats. (laughs) And you have no self-control. You'll just bring them right in. 
I have no (laughs) self-control. I'm like, they needed a life, you know, I'll work a lot to pay the things for my animals. The best ration, the best everything. I think that we had had a conversation about, because you had met Luis when you were here, even though you're both from Brazil, you guys had met in the US and he had never had the opportunity to meet Dexter. But I I remember we had a conversation where he had said to you, like, I feel like I know him or I feel like I knew him. So he didn't get a chance on when we first met because we were a year in the US. But I talk about my pug all the freaking time. And like, I have shirts that have pugs. I'm pretty much like you with like Black Labs on like everything you can find that has a pug. I'm going to buy it. And so I talked about my pug all the time that even like people that were not close to me on that internship would know that I had a pug and his name was Dexter and he was awesome. So they all felt like they knew him because I talk about the dog all the time. So Luis actually got the chance to meet Dexter when we went back to Brazil. So we have a lot of pictures of both of them and they just like loved each other. It was, it was so cute to see their relationship but my mom always advised any boyfriends I had she's like (laughs) don't ever give Eduardo the option to choose between you and the dog because she will choose the dog so just don't do that if you don't like dogs you better just leave because that's that's how she is like that dog is her life and if you ask her to choose she will say the dog and I would so they were very much like aware of it as soon as they entered the family because my mom was like you know Dexter comes first and you come second and that's how it was so <laughs> they they actually got to meet after but yeah he knew him just from me like talking about him the entire time One last question before we wrap up. If you had one more day with Dexter, what would you do? I would not take him to get neutered. I would just do what we did the day before. You know, just enjoy time with him. We were watching TV shows until like late night and he was just like snoring by me, just having some quality time. I think I do that with all my animals. Like I... I think that you can do anything for them. Like you can take them to get a burger or something when... But I think the best thing for them is spending time with the owner. I think that's what they appreciate the most. I think you can buy anything for them, toys, or you can buy food. You can take them to, you know, swim, which is something he likes. But I think spending quality time with you, it's always their favorite thing. There is this saying in Brazil that people say dogs. Well, it's not a say from Brazil. It's actually from uh, Marley and I, the the movie. Oh, Marley and me. Yeah, yeah Marley and me. And that yeah. says um, that they don't care like what type of house you have, what type of car you have, what you know, how much money you have. They just don't care. They just care about you. And I feel yeah. like that's what I would do with him is just like be there and spend time with him, which I did. So that is not something I can hold against myself because I spent that time with him and I took him there and I said bye to him before he went to uh, surgery and I was there for like his pre-anesthetic. So like when he went to sleep, I was there. So it sounds like the day, not knowing that that was his last day, you guys had a perfect day. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 I wouldn't change Mm -hmm. anything. I think we, we always had like the best time when we were together and he got to like slip in my bed as he always did. And we just had a good time. Was there anything before we wrap up? Anything more you want to add? 
I just feel like I would like for everybody to kind of understand that this is such a deep connection and just try to understand people, even though if you don't have animals, just understand their pain or their love. Because I feel like the hardest part of losing an animal is actually being judged for feeling the way you feel. You don't choose to feel like that. It's just something that happens because you have such a deep connection. So even though you don't have an animal, like let the person feel what she's feeling without feeling guilty because it's just an animal. You know, it's her animal or his animal and they deserve that time to mourn. They deserve to feel the way that they feel because they had a life with that animal. And also I feel like if more people would give animals the opportunity to be part of their life, everybody would be a little more happy. Because I had so many people that were like, oh, I hate dogs. Like dogs are good outside. And then they finally adopt a dog or their kids adopt a dog. And then they completely change their mind. So I'm like, just be open to feel that love because it will change your life. Like the the friendship you have from an animal is nothing like having a friendship from a you know a human or it's just a completely different thing and i just cannot explain and i think that's why like when i hear you talk about the human animal bond it just like it catches my attention so much because i can't explain like why do i feel like that is a genetic component in me that just make me bond with the animal and then people don't like I don't know why but this is how I am it's just I have that connection and I just can't explain it's just a connection I have since I was a kid I always loved animals if you see my video from my graduation in preschool they ask you like what do you want to do when you grow up and I said I want to be a vet and so like I had a connection to that time and it wasn't because Like I want to tell people that had animals. I wanted to help the animal itself. I want to be around animals. It's just that love for the animal. So um, I think my closing is just like, be kind. Be kind to people that are going through animal loss. And I always try to do that when I was practicing. Just be kind. Even though you don't know if that animal had the best life, just tell the person they had the best life they could with you because that will change their day. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, imagine if you didn't have that profound guilt on top of grief. I mean, grief in and of itself is, is uh, it can bring you to your knees, but I mean, the guilt on top of the grief is is just unbearable. So I completely agree with you is be empathetic and just don't make anybody feel like anything is their fault when it comes to the, the loss of their animal because they're already going to go through it. And it, that's just only going to make it exponentially worse. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story I feel like I know Dexter after sitting and listening to you and it he sounds like such a beautiful, sweet boy. So thank you for opening your heart and sharing your story. Well, thank you for having me, Abby, and letting me cry a little bit about talking talking about I him. I was crying right <laughs> along with you. It's hard. Yeah, it's so hard. It, it's, it's just very emotional, but I appreciate you having me here. Well, now I'm ugly crying all over again. (laughs) I hope that you enjoyed this episode. In the show notes, I wanted to provide a little bit of education for those that are maybe interested in learning more 
on a topic that we discuss each episode. And so for this episode, I've included a couple of resources regarding the brachycephalic obstructive airway syndrome, which is one of the conditions that pugs are very prone to. And Eduarda discussed it a little bit in the episode. So please check out the show notes if you're interested in seeing those resources. I also have included in the show notes a pet loss support hotline that is a 24-hour hotline. So any time of day where you may feel you need help and support, please do reach out. If you're suffering and grieving, you are not alone in your grief. And there are people that are waiting to talk to you. If for some reason that hotline does not work for you, there are plenty of other options across the country. So please do a quick Google and find a hotline that may work for you and reach out to somebody if you need help. I wanted to end this episode, if I could, by talking a little bit about Marley and Me. Most of you probably know the book or at least know the movie. I read the book for the first time when I was 15 and it really affected me then. I think it was probably the first time that I cried reading a book. And as soon as I knew that there was a movie being made, of course, I was like, oh my gosh, we need to go see this movie. It probably is the first and only time that I will be able to watch that movie. For those of you that know what happens, you know it's an incredibly emotional at the end. And it probably is not something that I'm going to be able to revisit. But I actually did reread Marley and Me. Now it being almost 20 years since I read it for the first time, I was just interested to see if it would affect me the same way if I were to revisit it. I will say it definitely hits differently having read it now, especially having had a lab. Amira and Marley could not have been more different behaviorally, but I think there just is something about having the same breed as the animal in the book that you're reading that that makes you connect to it a little bit differently. I think what drew me to the book when I was 15 and maybe I couldn't articulate at the time was that through this, I don't know, 250, 300 page book, we see the lifespan of an animal But we see all the life that happens in between bringing the animal home as a puppy and saying the last goodbye. And I think that it's just such a beautiful tribute to this this dog. I definitely had to pause reading it for a while when Marley started to get old. Kind of like Joey Tribbiani with The Shining, I wanted to put Marley and me in the freezer to delay what I knew was coming. But eventually I did read the rest of it. And it was brutal. It was very hard to read the end, the last few chapters when Marley gets sick and inevitably the family has to say goodbye. Uh, it's very hard anytime you have to, to hear that from anybody, that moment of grief. But you don't get to the quote that Eduardo mentioned in the episode unless you make it to the end. And so I wanted to leave you with it because it really is such a beautiful quote. And I do recommend this book. I mean, it's a, it's a hard read at times, but it is a really beautiful story. And so here we go. A dog has no use for fancy cars or big homes or designer clothes. Status symbols mean nothing to him. A waterlogged stick will do just fine. A dog judges others not by their color or creed or class, but by who they are inside. A dog doesn't care if you are rich or poor. 
educated or illiterate, clever or dull. Give him your heart and he will give you his. See you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Animal Soulmates podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a positive rating or review. Follow us on Instagram at Animal Soulmates Pod for updates and pictures of our guests with their beautiful animal soulmates. This podcast is produced by Citizens of Sound. Our theme song is Mastering the Art by Big Score Audio. Have a story that would be a good fit for the show? Send me an email at animalsoulmatespod at outlook.com. That's Animal Soulmates with an S P O D at outlook.com. Finally, are you thinking about adding an animal to your family? Why not consider adoption through your local animal shelter? There are plenty of dogs and cats just waiting to become someone's animal soulmate. See you next time.